Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to Rhode Island Report, the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state, a place where just this week, a loose donkey led police on a crosstown chase along Route 6 after it was first spotted in Johnston. It's a town known for its animal antics, including a loose cow earlier this year. And it's the place where a gang of raucous turkeys interrupted traffic a few years back. My guest this week is Lieutenant Governor Sabina Matos. Lieutenant Governor Matos and I talk about the need for affordable housing in Rhode Island, what it's been like to jump from city politics to the state house, her infrastructure wish list for former mayor and current train enthusiast Pete Buttigieg, and the challenges and opportunities that come with being the first woman of color to hold the second highest office in the state. Sabina Matos joins me in just a moment, but first, a short break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. Sabina Matos is Rhode Island's 17th lieutenant governor and the first person of color to hold that position. Previously, she served as president of the Providence City Council. She was first elected to the council in 2010, representing Ward 15, which includes Olneville and parts of Silver Lake and the Valley neighborhoods. Lieutenant Governor, thank you for joining us today on Rhode Island Report. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Governor McKee tapped you for the lieutenant governor's position in late March. At the time, you were Providence City Council president. What was it like to get that call? So I got the call, actually, because the governor had more questions for me. And I honestly, I cannot give you a direct quote because everything, it was like the excitement of the moment, I don't, I can recall exactly how he said it. But he communicated to me that he had decided to select me to be the next lieutenant governor. And um, I got butterflies on my stomach. <laughs> and, uh, and then I started thinking, oh, this is really happening. Yes. 
You had been in uh, Providence City politics for more than a decade. You were first elected in 2010, then won a re-election in 14 and 18. How did your time in city politics prepare you to represent Rhode Islanders as lieutenant governor? Well, I think that um, Senator Mary Ellen Goodwin put it best. Uh, Being the president of the Providence City Council is not an easy task. Is uh, the Providence City Council, we are the capital city. We have a population close to 180,000 people. I have already been dealing with um, business uh, leaders. I have been re- already been working with uh, labor leaders. Uh, I have been working with um, community leaders. So I already have that experience. So it's not new for me to sit um, across <coughs> the table. I have a conversation with a member of the community. So my experience being elected already for over 10 years, I think all of those qualities add up to me being here in this position right now. You moved to the United States from uh, the Dominican Republic when you were 20. And I saw you posted your passport photo uh, from back then on Facebook. You you were starting a new job at a factory in Queens. And 27 years later, you're starting a new job now as Rhode Island's first Afro-Latina lieutenant governor. What did it take to make it from the factory to the statehouse? and, And what does it mean to you to hold this position now? Well, it takes a lot of work and also a lot of opportunities. In a lot of safety nets that this country has in place that have helped me to get where I am. When I first arrived in New York City, I did not um, speak the language. Like, you know, we go through this with our kids, right? They're taking languages or the languages in high school and we're not paying attention to it. So it was the same thing for me back in the Dominican Republic. I took some English classes and French and I wish I had learned both of them well. When I arrived here um, in the United States, I, I realized that I, I really wish I was paying attention to those classes. And, and the experience that I had is, in, and that's why I, I posted that, because I realized that day in the morning that it was going to be tw- exactly 27 years since my first job. To the day? Yes. Wow. Yes, May 2nd. My, my colleague, Dan McGowan, wrote a column with the headline, Sabina Matos doesn't need to fix her accent, we need to embrace it. Yes. Uh, you talked about being self-conscious about your accent when you first ran for public office. So have there been times when people have given you a hard time about your accent? Or on the other hand, has it at times helped you connect with people? Well, you know, I have not found that many people that come straight to my face and say it, but they have said it to others or others around me that that it's going to be a challenge. But just at the beginning myself, um, when I was asked to run for office, which I at the beginning I, I was never planning on running for office until two council members approached me and asked me to run. I just graduated from Rhode Island College. Um, I think I, I was putting limits on myself. I thought, okay, I don't want to do it because what's going to happen when I have to go and speak to someone that was born here that only speak English, what are they going to think? I think that a lot of things helped me, as I was saying, part of the safety nets um, that are in place that have helped me. The International Institute, right? I went there for English classes. I transferred to CCRI 
again to take more English classes. Then I transferred to Rhode Island College and I was able to take um, um, ESL classes at Rhode Island College before um, starting my career. Um, and don't ask me why of all the majors I could go for, I went for, uh, I major in, in communications. Um, just because I wanted to make my life harder, I guess, <laughs> right? You know? <laughs> All right. So you, you've outlined small business support as a priority for your time here as lieutenant governor. And it's been a tough year for small business owners. That's especially true for businesses owned by people of color. For example, a national H&R Black survey from earlier this year found that 53 percent of black business owners had lost more than half their revenue since the pandemic started. What are you going to do to support small businesses owned by people of color here in Rhode Island? I'm continuing the work that former Lieutenant Governor, now Governor McKee, was doing with the Small Business Coalition. Continue to work with Chris Parisi and his group in order to um, hear directly from the small business uh, community what is affecting them. The minority businesses have been suffering for a long time. In many cases, they don't have access to the information of what they need in order to be successful. What I have done in the past and I plan to continue to do in, in this role is try to work uh, with the organizations that already are providing services and making sure that our small businesses um, in, in the minority community know about it. I can give you a, a few examples. Uh, during the pandemic last year, I partnered with uh, the Providence Revolving Fund. They approached me. They had this um, idea of having capital available up to $5,000 for the small business so they can pivot during the pandemic. And what um, what I was able to do is uh, partner with them. I double uh, from the city council the amount originally only had $100,000. So we doubled the amount. It was $200,000. So they can expand the, the geographic area in which they w- were going to provide access mm-hmm. to those funding. So that's one way. Under Governor McKee's budget, Rhode Island would tax forgiven paycheck protection program loans above $150,000, and that would make Rhode Island one of the only states to tax both PPP loans and full unemployment benefits. Most states in the federal government aren't taxing PPP loans at all. With so many Rhode Islanders and small businesses struggling, how do you justify taxing any of that assistance? Well, the governor's position is that if... Anyone did not make a profit doesn't have to pay that. I hear the argument and I can see the other side. But at the same time, what the governor has said is this is part of the budget. Um, if the General Assembly is able to find other resources to replace those those revenue, I wouldn't be opposed to, to the change. But I, I can see the argument on both sides. But right now, the budget has been submitted, and those are, uh, are part of the revenue that we're uh, that we're counting on. If the General Assembly were to uh, find a different type of uh, revenue, I would be in support of that. You, you've said that uh, affordable housing will be your priority as Lieutenant Governor, and the state's already has a law requiring 10% of the housing stock in every city and town to be low or moderate income housing. But just six of the 39 cities and towns in the state, including Providence, beat that threshold. How can we overcome this reluctance or opposition to create more affordable housing in those other 33 cities and towns? 
So it, this is something that happens, and I experienced this in in um, in my roles before in the city councils. Is they uh, thinking that not in my backyard, right? Uh, we all want to solve the problems, but we don't want it in our backyard. We have to um, communicate with those communities and make them realize that building affordable housing doesn't necessarily translate to changing drastically the way of how the community looks. But at the same time, we also have to educate the members of those other communities to let them know that this is a serious problem. I believe in having mixed of incomes in whenever we build housing. I don't believe in having any, any concentration of poverty or having all the low income housing just in one location. Um, I believe that it should be a mix. Those communities have to realize that not everyone in their community um, has the, the resources to pay for the housing in which they live. There's a strong push in the General Assembly to end the state takeover of Providence schools. Do you support that? No. Why not? I don't I don't think the city of Providence is ready to take on the to take back the Providence School District. As I was one of the supporters of the state takeover because I was frustrated with the um, lack of progress. We had been doing the same thing and getting the same result, which is insanity. When I saw this opportunity, I thought the opportunity as a way in which uh, something different could happen. I admit I was suspecting that by now more changes would have been happening. I don't think we're ready. The city of Providence is not ready to take um, the school department back. Yeah, what needs to happen first? There should be a contract signed with the teachers. Um, there needs to be more accountability within the school department to make sure that, that our students are being successful and that they graduate. There is a lack of expectation that they can be successful, and that needs to change. There needs to be a culture and expectation that every child has the potential to be successful. I see that you were in the Aspen Institute's Rodell Fellowship Program with former uh, South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg. And now that he's U.S. Transportation Secretary, how could he help Rhode Island with its transportation needs? Any oh, ideas for him? I'm making a list. <laughs> <laughs> What's on the top I'm of the list? I'm making a list. I'm making <clears throat> a list. There's so many projects happening here in Rhode Island that uh, that we could get the support from from the transportation secretary. You're going to ask him to come? I'm, You're going to talk to him about trains, uh, faster trains between Boston and Providence? Every time I hear a train right now, I, I only think about him. <laughs> 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 He's been talking about trains so much. Yeah. So, yes, I, I think there's so much potential uh, to, in, to improve the infrastructure of transportation within the state of Rhode Island. So I know you just got sworn in, but are you running for lieutenant governor in 2022? And if you get elected to a full term, how will you change that office? Yes, I'm running for re-election in 2022. Um, so as I said earlier, right now I have been, uh, I'm flying the plane while building it. I get appointed, I start. And then at the same time, because Governor McKee wants to do things in a different way in which we work together, Additional things that has been added to my schedule and to my work, uh, my work uh, plan. I, I think I want to continue to have conversations with Governor McKee. He's supporting me uh, on my um, prioritizing the housing. 
Um, I had conversations with Commerce as secretary prior. And my hope is that um, I work in collaboration with the governor and that we can show the taxpayers of the state of Rhode Island, the voters and the residents of the state of Rhode Island, that they are better served when they have the lieutenant governor, the governor of them, the lieutenant governor working as a team. So you'll be running as a team uh, with Governor McKee in 2022? I'm going to be supporting the governor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me give me the elevator speech for Governor McKee. It's going to be a highly competitive race. You've got people jumping in already in the Democratic primary. What's what's the argument for him? Yeah, I think we we are lucky because we have good quality uh, of the candidates that are going to be running. Governor McKee, but he got there right away to handle the vaccination, making sure that he he, uh, had Tony Silva, his chief of staff, given that as a priority. He knows how to pay attention to what is the the crisis at the moment and solve that problem. He is also a person that cares about small businesses, which is an area in which him and I have common goals. him and I also agree on on choices uh, for education. And this is something that I want to just go back a little because people says, okay, so you're supporting him because he chose you. And uh, let me tell you, if I didn't think that I had alignment in his policies, I wouldn't have submitted a letter to begin with. Um, I think him and I have a lot of areas in which we are um, in alignment, that we under, we have the same policy or similar policy. And, and I would love to see him to come back and be the governor for an, another four years. That was Rhode Island Lieutenant Governor Sabina Matos. Matos was sworn in as lieutenant governor in April after serving more than a decade on the Providence City Council. She plans to run for re-election in 2022. Here are a few other stories you should check out this week from Globe Rhode Island. My colleague Brian Amaral has a feature on Rocco Macaccio, a North Kingstown resident and D-Day veteran who celebrated his 100th birthday over the weekend. Check out Alexa Gagas' coverage of Bayberry Garden, a new restaurant and raw bar opening in Providence this week. And while you're at it, you can read my latest story on the race for state treasurer. The number of potential candidates to replace Seth Magaziner continues to grow ahead of the 2022 race. Find all these stories and more at globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Caitlin Harrop, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Ned Porter. Music by APM. Have an idea for a guest you'd like to hear? A story you think we should cover? Send us an email at rinews at globe.com. And if you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next Thursday.
Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all, anytime, and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org slash passport. That's ripbs.org slash passport.